Hi, this is Randy Powell. You may remember me as Alan Beam on Dallas. You're listening to the Dallas 40th Anniversary Celebration here on Hollywood and Beyond with host Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is host Stephen Brittingham. The Dallas 40th Anniversary Celebration will conclude with this episode featuring Jack Scalia, who portrayed Nicholas Pierce. And when I first came up for the idea to celebrate Dallas, reaching year 40, my hope was to have at least a few cast members as guests. It turned out instead to be more Dallas cast members than any podcast show in the world. Thinking of this milestone brings a tear to my eye. And nothing but unforgettable moments spent with all of these talented and amazing folks who helped make Dallas one of television's biggest achievements. I look back with a grateful heart on my Dallas 40th anniversary celebration. Reminds me that growing up in the 80s, there was only one place to be each Friday night at 9 p.m. Home, watching Dallas. My tribute to Big D honoring the 40th anniversary celebration far exceeded my expectations. The wonderful, amazing, and extremely talented guests who shared their memories of working on Dallas still amazes me almost one year later. I am grateful to all of these guests. They sure were generous towards this guy. I thank them all. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Hi, this is Deborah Trinelli. You may remember me as Bobby Ewing's secretary, Phyllis Wapner on Dallas. You are listening to the Dallas 40th Anniversary Celebration here on Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Previously on Dallas. Where is my son, bastard? Well, you'll never find him. That's not good enough. Where is he? None of your damn business, Pierce. I'm making it my business. Now you tell me or do I start taking you apart? One sorry excuse for a man. Get out of here. Not without some answers. And believe me, I will truly enjoy kicking the crap out of you. Where is he, JR? You're trespassing. If I have to use this, I'll be on my side, so get the hell out of here. You don't have the guts to use it. Call off your gigolo, honey.
Hi, friends and listeners. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. This is your host, actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening. My guest today is someone I am looking forward to speaking with very much. I am honored to have him on the show and to learn more about him. He is most definitely a talented and skilled actor. And when I think of the word quality, I think of my guest, who certainly shows that as an actor. A very impressive career indeed. Uh, Many of you may remember him as Nicholas Pierce on Dallas, who became romantically involved with Sue Ellen Ewing, brilliantly portrayed by Linda Gray, and he defended her to the end. His character was also attempting to distance himself from his family's mob connection, and ultimately became a part of one of the most shocking and thrilling Dallas cliffhangers of all time. While researching my guest, I discovered that he is a man who values his, his country very much. And this is evident with his interviews that he now does to honor our brave men and women who defend our freedom. And he also honors those families where soldiers have fallen. And he honors their memories, and he also honors those families. Uh, He has interviewed Raquel Welch and the talented Gary Sinise on these interview segments. And my respect for him has grown just so much. His name is Jack Scalia. Welcome to the show, Jack. Pleasure to be here, Stephen, and I uh, hope I can just live up to your build-up. <laughs> well, I think you most certainly can and already have, but welcome to the thank show. You. You were very, thank you. You were very kind and uh, very magnanimous, so thank you very much. Well, you are most welcome, and I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to discussing um, your career, uh, especially your time on Dallas, but I thought before we would dive into all that i'd like to learn more about uh, what you're doing with these uh, military interviews um and i thought if you could explain it to the listeners out there i think you can explain it the best well thank you i am uh, right currently I, I have been for about well, four or five years now uh, and associated with for about eight years the coalition to salute america's heroes which is a veterans 501c3 nonprofit organization and uh, I travel around the United States visiting bases, visiting hospitals, but the coalition specifically deals with um, helping our disabled veterans uh, that come back from the war on terror. That could be with the physical wounds that we can see and then the ones that are the invisible wounds. That could be PTSD, TBI, traumatic brain injury, and an assortment of other uh, maladies and things they come back with that uh, is not visible to the eye. Uh, however, it is very much a part of their lives. So our coalition that I'm involved with, the Sword America's Heroes, basically uh, what we're the number one leading uh, 501c3 veterans group that we do is we provide emergency medical aid to our men and women who might have fallen on hard times. Maybe they had a job and they lost a job. So what we do, what the coalition does, is to provide uh financial aid to them, and that can be anywhere from keeping the water on, keeping the lights on, getting the house payment, getting the car payment, getting the clothes for kids that are going to school. It could be one of the above, or it might be all five of the above. And that is just like one aspect of it. We're very involved, as many are, with the uh, situation dealing with 22-plus suicides a day and with our veterans that are returning from the war on terror. And we uh, 
provide all sorts of counseling for them. There are uh, one that is called uh, a, a weekend where they get away, and that is um, help them their road to recovery. It's called, and that's usually a four day to five day seminar where they bring couples and then families in, and they have breakout groups for the children to be around other children whose father and mother have come back disabled and deployed and also breakout sessions for the adults. And it's basically to re re reweave the, uh, the torn fabric of the family because when a soldier, man or woman, sailor, airman, uh, Marine is deployed, coast guardsman is deployed. The family is deployed in a, in a way that the, the spouse that stays home, whether it be the man or the female, they still have to take care of the family. They may have to move during the middle of a deployment. That person has to take care of that. Then of course there's that always not knowing what's going on. And at the same time, when the phone rings, I've known many of spouses to say, you know, my, my, I jump out of my skin because you never know what it's going to be, uh, that call may be about. And the other thing that we do is so many things, but we do bridge work with other uh, organizations that are looking to make the lives better of our returning veterans. So it's a uh, many uh, multifaceted, multi-leveled uh, organization, and it is a nonprofit. And the um, of the 52 employees that we have, 43 are disabled vets. So, uh, and 78 to 80% of everything that comes in goes out. The other, say, only 6% goes to administration, and the rest goes to publicity and advertising. So it's, it's a very, it's a mid-size, small to mid-size group that does very well and been around for a while, and it's to make, uh, it's to fill the gaps where the government either can't or doesn't, or uh, in some cases, unwilling in the sense only from the point of view that it makes them wait for their, uh, for whatever uh, check they're depending on them uh, from the VA from or from the government. But uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, without going into a lot of detail. Well, and thank you for giving me that time. You are most welcome. And um, you are very informative. Thank you. And you explained it all so well. I knew you would be the best person to explain it. So that's why <laughs> that's why I only did a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a preview of, of what you right. would be discussing. And I'll tell you what, that when I was listening to you, Jack, one of the things that comes to my mind is that, you know, when these brave men and women come back home, life is just not uh, going to be like a, a light switch where everything's back to normal and and, and they just put it behind them. There's a, a lot that they have to adjust to, isn't there? Yes, they, it, it can come anywhere. It comes like basically in the, in the form of the five pillars, which I call of life, the spiritual, the physical, the intellectual, the social, and the emotional uh, pillars or roads or parts of that make up, that make us up. And on every one of those, for the for the most part, something has changed. And it's, you know, when a family, uh, let's just say, for example, a, a, a man, a man leaves and he's deployed. The wife has, they have two children between three and five and she's pregnant. Now she's got to go through that basically with him being deployed. That could be most of the rotations were about eight to 10 months. So in that time she could have another baby. Um, and the family goes on without him being there. Nowadays, you have Skyping and you have phones and things like that. You can, or computer, you can communicate. However, that soldier or Marine or Airman or, or, or a Navy person or Coast Guardsman has been away 
for a significant period of time, and they learn to adapt, the families do, and to live without that person there or that person is there only in the way that they can be. And that's usually voice and sometimes hopefully voice and face. So huge changes within the family structure. Then the person deployed comes back in, and they they can't see, unsee what they've seen, and they can't undo what, what might have been done. And the things that they've experienced from losing their uh, battle buddies right next to them, it could be multiple, it could be one. However, having been around them and knowing what comes, what they come back with, it could be a, you know, a number of things. So there is a real family adjustment that needs to take place, and that takes time. And then, of course, there's the soldier who comes back, and it might be a single amputee, a double amputee, triple, quadruple, maybe a paraplegic or severe brain damage. And that wife and or husband, the uh, spouse uh, not deployed, becomes the caretaker. And that caretaker is the person who replaces everything that the VA was doing when they came back with their injury. Uh So they... They have a lot of responsibility, and and basically they're the ones that that shoulder the whole thing. So I, you know, I've witnessed it. I've been around it. I've participated in the breakout groups, and they're really quite amazing when when you can see a couple that it, maybe it was just through communication, maybe it was not giving the proper time when a soldier comes back, and I'll just use soldier in general, but, you know, I, I mean all five branches, uh, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guardsmen. Uh, when when they come back, they're different. And especially with the disabled vets, and there's a period of mourning, I believe, that most of them go through, or they cross over it, they just fly past it, and then the, so does the spouse, and maybe the family, and they don't really get to deal with some of the issues that are facing them because uh, of all of the issues that need to be addressed immediately. And if that's, you know, redressing wounds on a double amputee, legs lost above the knee, there's a whole process. And, and it takes time, as I said, to reweave that fabric. So they are the caretakers of the family are the ones, the spouse who didn't leave or maybe did leave, but came back. Okay. And the spouse comes back injured. So there's a, you know, there were so many levels that they need to reconnect on. And sometimes it comes down to communication and there are just, you know, whether it's the, the returning uh, veteran, uh, you know, skills get changed and they're used to being in an arena where everything is black and white life and death. And, uh, you know, they have their three squares. Their whole life is set up for them every single day. And they have to, can, you know, go and do their missions and you complete their objectives. And at the same time, that's all gone. And then they spent maybe 10 days in Rumsfeld in Germany in a hospital or, or three or four or five months. And they've been, you know, uh, they put them into a, uh, a comb. They put them into the inducer coma so they don't have to deal with the immediate pain and injury that they may have and then they bring them out of that and there's just a lot that needs to be done with our families and um and i think that the organizations such as coalition to suit america's heroes as well as so many other organizations out there the semper five fund uh special forces fund and there's so many different groups out there the one with the navy seals uh, that, you know, we all pitch in, we all kick in, try to do our best and get our guys and gals back on their feet and in a place where they are back to feeling where they are functioning. And at the same time, 
contributing to the uh, to the community, to their families, and to themselves. It takes a little while to get whole again. But for everyone that I've ever met that's been injured and or disabled, to the man and to the woman, make me whole, send me back. It's, a, it's an amazing esprit de corps that they share. Yes. Well, another outstanding description. Thank you. And obviously, when a person goes uh, overseas or to another part of the world for whatever the um, situation or cause might be, the families that are behind, it, you know, you, you mentioned it. I mean, there's a connection there. Um, it, right. They're involved with this just as much as their uh, daughter or son or uh, our loved one, whatever the situation may be. I mean, it's a joint effort, isn't it? It's, I mean, uh, 100%. 100%. And like you said, the knock at the door, the, the sound of the phone, that's just got to be really uh, difficult to deal with day to day. You worry about getting that right. call. Um, you pray that everything's going to be okay, but you know in the back of your mind the realities that things that can happen. But I have to tell you, Jack, I, I listened to your interview segments, and I was very uh, touched and moved and inspired. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, the thing that I really enjoyed about it is, you know, it was not a, a, a political-based uh, interview. It was about the soldiers. It was about 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 all of them and their families. And I, I really like that approach um, because sometimes these days it seems to be, you know, uh, politicized, just talking about the troops. And we forget about them right. as individuals and about our freedom. Right. Because you know what, Jack? Here's what's the interesting thing. I told my son this not too long ago. I said, the kind of show that I do, do you realize that in certain parts of the world – I wouldn't be permitted to do a show like this because I wouldn't have freedom of speech. And we owe a lot right. to the people who, uh, who, who make sure that we get to have freedom of speech. Right. Those that stand on the wall every day for us. Absolutely. All those brave right. uh, men and women. And you, uh, had, uh, you've had some interesting guests. So uh, in addition to family members and whatnot, you've also had uh, Raquel Welch. Let's just uh, uh -huh. start with her. Uh, that's not too bad, <laughs> is it, Jack? <laughs> no, Ra Raquel is a sweetheart. We did a film together uh, uh, some years ago for uh, Judith Krantz and... Uh, and it was uh, working with Raquel Welsh. Uh, she's iconic, and she's yes. uh, very special. And uh, I, you know, first of all, she's you know, drop dead gorgeous even to this day. And uh, she's uh, talented, and she's fun to be with, and she's uh, very supportive of our men and women in uniform. And if some of you don't know who Raquel Welsh is, you can just Google her name slash Bob Hope Vietnam. And she was back there entertaining the troops when she was like 22 years old in Vietnam. So, uh, very special lady, you know, supportive of our men and women in uniform back then when it wasn't popular to be supportive. But she was right there. And so I, I you know, I definitely give her a tip of the hat for that. But she was a great gal to work with, a lot of fun, uh, very entertaining and funny. Oh, I bet. The interview is wonderful. I encourage people out there, if they get a chance to listen to, to Jack uh, speak with Raquel, it's, uh, it, it, it's uh, an important subject matter, but also very entertaining as well. And she was very touched by her experience. I picked up on that big time. 
Yes, very. It meant the world to her when she talks about visiting the wounded in the uh, belly of the uh, of the ship that they had brought her out on, and she was down in the uh, in the re- in the hospital area of it. And one of the soldiers, uh, she was standing over him, or at the foot of, at his feet. And when he woke up, I guess she was wearing white at the time, and or some camis. And when he woke up, and he said. Am I in heaven? What's going on here? <laughs> I yeah, must be. Yeah. How could this be happening? <laughs> Am I in heaven? It was one of the best. <laughs> That's a great story. That's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. She's a doll. Well, please give her my best and um, let her know how much I okay. enjoyed listening to uh, her experiences and that I have an enormous respect for what she did. And uh, I would like to uh, also bring up another person that you interviewed, and that is um, a gentleman that I just have so much respect and admiration for, not only as an actor, but as an individual. Uh, And that would be Gary Sinise. And you two had quite the conversation. Yes. uh, Gary Gary is the Bob Hope of today. He takes his Lieutenant Dan Band. And for as long as I've known Gary, which goes back eight, nine years, maybe more, he is always on weekends, uh, even when he's doing his shows on weekends, he takes off and he's somewhere at a base in the United States or is doing something for the uh, Tunnel to Towers uh, 9-11 Foundation, holding a concert somewhere. Uh, we just missed each other in Afghanistan. I had been there for three months and then Gary was flying in for Thanksgiving and he asked me if I could stick around. We were, we were in communication, and he said, Jack, can you stick around a few more days? And I said, Gary, I got five days. I'm short. I got five, I got five wake-ups and a sea bag drag, and I'm out of here. Um, so uh, <laughs> we just meet, missed each other there at Bagram Airfield. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but he's all over the place. And Gary is just a fun, you know, he's, he's one of the all-time stand-up guys. He is a great man of faith. He has a beautiful family. Um, he loves our men and women in uniform, all that they, they do for us every day. And he's just a great guy. And he's a lot of, he's fun to be around. And as, if you listen, as you did, you said you listened to the interview and he had his son with him. I won't say his name, although I've known him since he's about eight years old, but now he's grown, he's growing up and he's a you know, teenager plus. And he was, I, I said to him, I said, Gary, I said, now you have your little, your granddaughter is born. Are you going to be traveling as much? Because he, I said, you know, you're gone almost as much as our men and women are overseas. And he goes, you know, it's funny you say that my son is with me now. We were going through the, we're here in the office going through the ledgers and some of the things I've been doing over the years, because I keep uh, meticulous records of everything he does. And he said that, as I was going through it, and the years were passing, and my son came up next to me, and he said, uh, "He said I know I was gone a lot, and I'm I'm sorry for that, and but uh, just know that you're always in my in my heart and in my prayers." And his son said, "That's okay, Dad. We knew what you were doing." And uh, so then I asked him, uh, which I thought was very sweet of his son. And then I said, uh, Gary, uh, how about your granddaughter? He goes, I'm not missing her. I'm not going to miss her. <laughs> but but however, if he, yeah, if, if he's trying to book Gary and Lieutenant Dan Band for some, something you may would love to have him at to raise money for a foundation, you have to book him a couple of years in advance because yeah. uh, that's how busy he is. 
And he's just a great guy. I mean, just yes, you know, he's just a great guy. That's all there is to it. They're one of the, and I very guess, sincere. Like, yep, one hundred percent. You know, he went from starting uh, the Steppenwolf Group, uh, which uh, originated in, on, you know, in the basement of a Catholic church just outside of Chicago or in Chicago. And he started the Steppenwolf uh, Repertory Theater, which Malkovich went through, Joan Allen went through. I mean, a lot of big names came out of there. And he started that. He and another buddy started that group. And today they have their own amphitheater. They're a, they're a big deal, the Steppenwolf Theater Company. And he started that, and then he went into, then he started to work, you know, uh, nominated uh, for Mice and Men. He's uh, nominated, of course, for uh, Academy, nominated for Thor's Gump. And then he's been, he's, he's won an Oscar in one of the productions that he's directed. So, I mean, Gary's a very multifaceted, multi-talented uh, man that makes things happen. Just a great guy. Yes. Well, please give him my best as well. And Sure. Um, I have to ask you, um, you know, how good is his band? I have a feeling that they're pretty darn good. Oh, they rock. No, no, they're, a, they're a rock band, and he plays bass. Uh, very, very talented. And I've had the chance to probably watch him 10, 15 times, and anywhere from with the Striker Brigade up in Alaska to uh, being down at the uh, Atlantic Station in Atlantic, Georgia, and I've seen him in Florida, and I've seen him in North Carolina. I've seen him all over the place. And... Uh, but they're very, very good. I would just, as they, the expression is, it's a very tight band. They can play. They can, they can, they can knock it, get it down. They can rock and roll. I bet. Well, um, I certainly hope I get to speak with Gary someday. But uh, I have to tell you, I really enjoyed you uh, discussing him, and uh, just have so much admiration for him. And uh, and obviously, with your description, he's really dedicated himself over the years and had to make some sacrifices himself. And I certainly Good. admire that. And it just inspires me so much, uh, both you and him. And I uh, really appreciate these wonderful descriptions. And I thought I'd go ahead and ask you, is there a way for folks out there who would like to listen to some of these interviews? Uh, how do they um, go and uh, find the uh, interviews to listen? Well, thank you for asking that. I'm more than happy to inform them. You can go to the website for the coalition, which is saluteheroes.org. And when the uh, when the page comes up, you'll just see a picture, I believe, of me. I mean, it used to be there a week ago. Maybe they don't like me this week and they took it down. But you'll see a picture <laughs> of me and radio show next. Would you sit on that? I'll take you right to however the many hundreds uh, of, uh, of uh, interviews that I've done, and you can scroll through them, and that they're chronologically in order. You'll see a lot of names there that you'll recognize. And Stephanie Kramer from um, the TV show that she had with uh, the professional football player. Why can't I think of this right now? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, Frank, Frank Stallone, I mean. Uh, yes, that was another Frank good one. Thank yeah, who is now the uh, Minister of the Interior. He is also a former uh, SEAL Team 6 commander. Um, I have Dr. Ben Carson and uh, so many, so many, you know, people. And uh, the, I'm glad you mentioned that with the show. In, in the show, I don't talk, we don't talk politics. It's not about the politics. It's just about the person that I'm interviewing. I want them to talk just like you're allowing me to speak right now, which I appreciate very much. And... Um, 
the uh, that's the format is to put the focus on the uh, on the uh, guest that's on for the day or for that for that hour or half hour. And politics doesn't for me doesn't exist, and neither as I've learned being or spending a lot of time with our guys and gals in uniform. It doesn't exist in the military with when they're serving, especially when they're in country downrange. It becomes a whole different world. And you have the person to your battle buddy to your right, to the left, that you're 12 o'clock in front, and that's your six behind you. And that's what your world is. And the people in your in your uh, squad, your company, your platoon, whatever it is. Uh, and then these are all very, very special people. Um, and, uh, you know, they're like I said, there are just so many... Uh, Pat Boone I had on. I've also had little Anthony from little Anthony, the Imperials, Jocko Marcelino from Shanana. Uh, just uh, so many that I'm losing uh, count of the ones that I've done. And, you know, but just terrific, terrific people. And uh, it's always been an honor, you know, so they can go to saluteheroes.org, click on my picture or the radio tag. Uh, you can go on to uh, Today's American Veterans slash my name Jack Scalia, and the shows will come up, and they're they're on uh, Google, they're on Apple, there are a lot of different uh, outlets where you can pick up from it. But thank you for asking that. And visit SaluteHeroes.org website just to see what they do, too. Well, it's my pleasure and honor to, to uh, give you the time to speak about all that. And, and Jack, you may not know this, but... Um, I also have social media pages for Hollywood and Beyond, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as my own pages. So I'm all over the place. And the reason why I bring that up is that I'll be sure to start passing along information about the topics that we are discussing. At least I can do that much. Uh, You know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, mention how to, uh, you know, go to the certain websites that we discussed and topics and uh, the Gary Sinise uh, uh, topic that we discussed. I'll try to share information about Uh uh, his organization and I'll do my part. So I hope that it helps in some small way. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and that was Fred Dreyer and Stephanie Kramer in the hit TV series, Hunter. There you go. That's right. Think of it for a second. <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to be honest. That made two of us, even though I could picture it in my mind. It's funny how that happens right. sometimes, isn't it, over the years? Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, well, one well, wonderful thing about Stephanie is she's also a virtuoso, a singer. She's a uh, Juilliard-trained. Uh, she's an amazing uh, singer and artist and uh, writer. She's very, very talented. So, And we go back to the very beginning of my career when I started with Rock Hudson. Yes, you um, started so up with Rock. I mean, early yeah. on. Right. Did a miniseries with him and Suzanne Plachette and Brenda Vaccaro and Jeffrey Tambor, Melanie Griffith. And it was Fred Dreyer's first job. It was my first job. And then not too soon after that, Rock asked me to play his son in uh, The Devlin Connection, which we did. And unfortunately, he had the quintuple bypass, and then he uh, was sick after that. However, nice. Stephanie was a guest star in the first two or three series that I, that I had done in the beginning of my career. She was always there. Wow. I I would really enjoy seeing uh, you know some of those episodes. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be a lot of fun and course rock hudson what an amazing career and so that must have been extra exciting for you to work with uh basically a cinema legend on not one yep. but two projects early on in your acting career absolutely when i had no idea what i was doing and uh <laughs> he was he was uh he was a gentleman and a professional he treated me like a son and 
um, I've been asked, you know, what kind of, you know, hints did he give you? Did he tell you to do this or do that? And I said, the only thing he ever said to me was stick around, kid. And stick around meant if I was finished for the day and I was about to leave, or if I was going to go and finish my scene and then go into my trailer and stick around and get out on the, get out on the set and watch. That means there was somebody special going to be on the show. And, that could have been anyone from the great dancer who we lost very, very early, much too early, uh, the great Julia Prowse. And then also, uh, uh, I'll think of his name, but he was the star of Lou Ayres from All Quiet on the Western Front. He was the star of all of those Dr. Kildare movies with, um, I'll think of his name in a second too. But he was a man that's Academy nominated was around in the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And he's still around, you know, 50 years later going into when I started in the early eighties and there he was working as a guest star. And, uh, I remember just sitting there and watching new airs work, but there were so many people like that. And, uh, sure. And, you know, rock was always generous with whatever it was needed. The first time he and I met were, I uh, came into uh, Manhattan uh, a second time, uh, and he wanted me to play his son. We're walking down Central Park West, and he was six six. He was a big guy. I mean, I'm six wow. one, and he towered over me. I'm six two. Us, yeah, well, he was six six <laughs> and big, long. He was gangly. Yeah, and uh, a, a crowd of twenty, thirty people came running up asking him for his autograph, and then when they he signed each and every one. And very patient. And then when he, when they all left, I said to him, don't you get tired of that? And his response has become my response whenever asked a similar question. And his response was, it'll, it'll bother me when they stop. So yes, that was my, his response to me saying, doesn't that bother you? He said, it'll bother me when it stops. Well, that's and an so, excellent you know, uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, and he was uh, always very humble and uh, very, you know, soft-spoken and a great guy. I mean, so, you know, if I got banged up or something, a touch football game at the bottom of Coldwater Canyon, he'd come down and get me and go bring me to the hospital. I get stitched up, and then he'll say, try not to do that again. You have to work tomorrow. So, yeah, be cautious. Right. There's just so many great stories that I have with these people, all the people I've worked with, the people I've been around. Probably the biggest one of the, the biggest benefit of, of, of being in the business that I've found and walked away with was the experiences that I created with people who are just enormously talented, uh, fine people. And, uh, you know, we give you the time of day and would be patient and uh, at the same time, very respectful. So and, and that goes from being around it with Elizabeth Taylor and Sally Fields and, uh, you know, all the people I've worked with, whether it, you know, whether it's Bo Derrick or whether it was uh, Farrah Fawcett and you know, just so many people on and on. And of course, the guys I've worked with and Ernest Borgnine and. Uh, being around Jimmy Woods and uh, Cooper Gooding and just, uh, you know, there's such a long, long list. And I hope people don't listen to this because I know if I forgot one of them, I'll hear about it. But, you know, and then building you know, building friendships and relationships with Mr. Sidney Portier and Michael Kane, or Michael and Shakira Kane, Sidney and Joanna Portier, 
Don and Barbara Rickles and Don, who we just lost. And yes. you know, to have that. And then, of course, my pal, my, my real pal, close friend who left us to work with the great writer, Jackie Collins. And so you get yes. to work with people like that and just blessed. And, you know, then there was the opportunity that I had on Dallas and they were in their 10th year and they were a really well-oiled machine. And when I came on the show, it, they treated me as if I had been there all 10 years. They welcomed me. They, they were respectful and professional and, you know, they just really extended themselves, which was a great, reminder to me and at the same time a reminder on a number of levels being humble being kind being empathetic and being considerate of other people no matter how big you were because they were big and they all woke from larry hagman to patrick and then of course you know the the love interest my my love interest uh, linda gray who was you know played sue ellen and yes. it couldn't have been it couldn't it couldn't have been any more generous in, in having me being brought in in the 10th year because the situations like that could turn out to be not so good. And sure. They, and you were there for most of that season. You know, I was in the whole season yes. and they kept me and they, but however, the, the important thing is Stephen is that they made me feel welcome from day one, from That's day great. one, you not know, halfway and then they through, Howard, day one. Yeah, right. And Howard Keel, I mean, oh, people my. only know him from the, from the character that he played on the show. However, this guy was a major, major movie star uh, in musicals, and I mean, he did big, big stuff. And what a voice! He was a, yeah, he was six four, six five, another big guy, mm. and he couldn't have been nicer. They were, they were really just, you know, wonderful people. So it, it was a, it was an honor and a privilege, and uh, spending time with them for that whole year. We did thirty three episodes, I believe. And uh, it, it, I felt that I came away from that experience being a better actor and a better person. Well, you did an outstanding job, Jack. And Nicholas was a confident character <laughs> when he first comes <laughs> on the scene. And the, one of the beautiful things about Dallas is that characters change over time, just like we all do in life. And even Nicholas in one season changed in many ways. And to see him, you, you realize there's more to Nicholas than this, uh, this guy that's uh, on top of the business world, and, and he can do this, and he can do that for you. And, and, uh, but because we learn about his background, and, and then we see his, uh, his softer side, so to speak, with uh, the character of Sue Ellen. And, and you did an outstanding right. job on the show displaying all those Thank emotions. You. Um, great chemistry with Linda. And I have to say, when you mentioned a while back about watching an actor, you know, after you've already done your part, I have mm -hmm. to tell you, Jack, if I had to put my money on it, you know, Linda is such a, an amazing talent. She is definitely the kind of actress, I, if I was done with my scene, I would want to go and watch. She is just so right. sharp. Right. Yes, you're right about that, and because she acts, what she does, one thing that she always did, I thought was wonderful, was listen, so that when we were in a scene, and if it was just the two of us, or if there were three or four of us, or was an ensemble in the scene, whenever I watched Linda, uh, Linda was always listening, and listening is such, as you well know, uh, is such a big part of the of a scene and of the quality of an actor and, and the different levels that they, that they carry with them. 
And one thing you learn is that when you listen well, and if the camera's ever got to cut away, and there are more than a few people, or even if you're in a scene, which is two, a two-shot scene, a two-person scene, the editor will cut to that person because, uh, for one reason, is because it's maybe it's a time to cut away to them. However, when someone is listening and you see them living in the moment as things are unfolding, it's always interesting to see how the words are affecting the other person. And uh, she was as good as that, that as anyone I've known. I mean, what they all were, Larry Hagman. I mean, you know, the quintessential pro. He was just a great guy to be around. All of them were. Uh, and as you all know, like 90% of my work was with uh, Linda Suellen. Yes. And so it was always a treat to be with her. No matter what, she always made it fun. She always had an energy in life to her that was, you know, something that radiated and just took the scene to another level. So she was fantastic to work with. No matter how long or short the scene was, she was just always present. Now, did you know that your character was intended to be for one season only going in? No. Uh, well, when you, when I, you, you never know. Right. So you see how the story is starting to unfold and you see how you get involved and how the, the threat is and how they're weaving you in. And I remember when, towards the very end, when it became apparent that, you know, R.J., or J.R., I'm sorry, R.J. is Wagner, Robert Wagner, buddy of mine, so I get the mixed up a little. So <laughs> no J.R., you know, yeah. the nefarious part of him, let's say that's about to come out, you know, and that I'm going to get, you know, killed or something's going to happen somewhere. And, uh and I believe it was David Jacobs, who was the executive producer at the time. If I'm wrong, forgive me. Um, but I remember he brought me to, to his office and he said, Jack, he said, I think you're great. You're doing wonderful here. We're having a great time. And this is very difficult for me to do. And I said, look, I'm just so, I knew what he was going to say. And I just, I'm, I'm just so grateful to have been part of it. And, then, you know, and just thank you. And uh, I, this is the business that we're in. And they're going to go in a different direction with whatever they did. And that way, at the same time, Andrew Stevens and I both came on at the same same year, the 10th year. Yes. And I believe Andrew, and yes, and Andrew did another year. Um, I would, you know, I know that's how the business is. However, that's one of those jobs you went, you know, you work with a great ensemble, the great atmosphere of being part of Dallas and working uh, with all of the characters that, that I did. It was one of the sad, you know, it was sad, you know, but that's the business. Sure. And I'd been around long enough by then to know that's just how we were, we were like a band of gypsies. And sometimes that band of gypsies gets to stay together for 10, 15 years. And that's great. And sometimes you can only be part of the, you know, I'm just a traveling minstrel with them for a year. And, and that was just great. And you left your mark because let me tell you, just like a, a song that, that lasts for all time. I always feel that acting is the same way. So Nicholas Pierce remains in our memories for, for viewers and fans of, of Dallas. And uh, so you left your mark. You definitely did. And I do want to ask you a quick uh, few questions about uh, your character's sure. final moments. But before I do, uh, Jack, I have to tell you. Um, I think you can tell that I'm a big Dallas fan. I'm pretty sure you can pick yeah. up on that. <laughs> and you know, I, uh, growing up in the 80s, um, it really had an impact on me, not just as a viewer and as a fan, so to speak, but also it helped propel my interest in acting because I thought these people were having so much fun 
using their imagination. So it impacted right. me in, in more than just as a fan. But I'll tell you this. You gave such a great performance, but you also gave such a touching and moving performance and a certain part of your storyline, and that would have to do with your character's parents. And to make a long story short, because I'm sure the Dallas fans out there know, with the the background of of Nicholas Pierce and trying to keep that a a secret about his background, of course, April wouldn't let that be, would she? But uh, (laughs) when you had to uh, go back with the the two uh, men in the mob that wanted proof that Nicholas' parents were actually dead and gone, And I have to tell you, man, what a scene when you go to the gravesite and and Uh, telling them, hey, what more do you guys want? And it, it, I mean, you, the character convinced them and that says something uh, because they were full of doubts left and right. And man, what a strong performance to me. That scene is something I'll always remember on your time on Dallas. uh, Well, thank you. That's very, very uh, generous of you and very thoughtful, kind to say. Uh, And the interesting thing about that is, and thank you for bringing that up, uh, Larry Hagman directed that episode. Did he really? Yes, yes. And then I remember it was right before that scene, Larry came over, we had a little talk, and he, he gave me some little, you know, try this, try that. And uh, that's what he does. He's directing. And so we did that. And then he came back and he said, okay, I'll do one your way. And then I did one my way. And then he said, come back and do it our way. You and I. And I went back and did it. And he said, that was the one. And I said, well, it's teamwork. And he said, yep. And wow. so, uh, but that's how we got to that scene. It was, we did one his way, one my way. Then he said, do it, which I thought was very, smart of him as a director because mm-hmm. actors or there's so many creative entities that come into that uh, are part of you have the producer's vision you have the director's vision you have the writer's vision you have the actor's divi- uh, vision and you also have the director photography's vision so you have all of these very creative entities that have come together and to create something that you see up on in the production value that you see on the screen. So it's not arrived at arbitrarily, you know, there's, there's a lot of forces at work in there. And I know from my own experiences, uh, as an actor, I always like to be included feeling like my voice, my creative voice and the energy and the time that I've spent in preparing myself to do the day's work is that it's going to be heard. So Larry being the the professional that he is as an actor and as a producer, executive producer, and as a director, you know, we do mine. Then he said, Jack, do yours. And then he was very smart. And he said, okay, now do the next one hours. And I thought that was very smart of him because at that, at that point, then I just real sorry. Doesn't my dog get her out there? That. Some people are walking by the house. Oh, that's just fine. No problem yeah, at all. It's real life. It's probably it's what happens. It's real life. life. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be glamorous and, all the time, right, Jack? Right, exactly. And uh, when when he said that, he, as an actor, you, you it just put me in a different place. Sure. And anything that of my own stuff that might have been residual emotions from the way that, you know, when I did it my way, then that just kind of went away because now I was being included and it just made it, you know, it became like more of a, 
uh, now I was more, I was a, truly alive. And all this, another energy shot into me. And it was just so smart of him, you know? You've already been to the Hall of Records. You've seen your newspaper articles. You've seen your, your death certificates. What do we have to come here for? Gee, Joey, don't you want to show your respects? Yeah. Not with you two jerks around. Why can't I have this time for myself? <laughs> Leave me alone, please. Now, we didn't come this far to miss the best part, Joey. <laughs> Joey? Betty, have you proof? What more do you want? You want to take the bodies out of the grave? Well, I really appreciate you sharing that story because of course. it just uh, makes me think of that scene in a in an even whole new light. And and that's just uh, I can't wait to actually tell if some people that I know that story or or maybe tell them to listen to this interview to hear the story first. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that's just great. There just always seems to be. New stories that I hear and learn about and uh, from guests, and, and that's just a – I like that story. And I'd like yeah. to ask you about Larry, and, uh, you know, that look that the character of J.R. Ewing can give another character, especially when he's riled up um, or right. he's uh, not too happy. So I've heard uh, some other actors discuss the look. Many of them called it that, actually, the look. And I was just wondering what uh, – your character certainly experienced uh, – his fair share, especially as the season went along. You know, what is that like when Larry Hagman is in, you know, uh, giving that look and, and doing his thing, so to speak? Well, I, for me, if you're asking me as a person, or if you're asking me as the actor, you know, or, or it could be, inter- I can interpret it a couple of different ways. One is, is if in a rehearsal, and, I'm, and we're doing this, and usually the rehearsal, you rehearsal and you're blocking, you get close to where you want to be in the scene. Some, some will work that way. Some work with where they just say the words and they move to where they have to move to. And then there are the other ones that put a lot into the rehearsal because that's maybe their technique. And so in working with Larry, and when he would give this, as you're referring to it as, you know, JR's look, uh, there was the part of me in the blocking, uh, in the rehearsal, where I was very amused by it as a person. Because, of course, you know, having watched the show and knowing the show and watching him work on the set, uh, I know what that means. I know who that character is. So as Jack, just the person doing my lines, uh, doing the blocking and finding where I need to be, there's one part of me that's amused by it as Jack watching Larry Hagman, not Jr. And at the same time, I'm the actor doing the work as as we're rehearsing or and or blocking. And so there's those two reactions happen simultaneously. And then when it comes time to get on the set, we okay, this is we're going to do this. This is our last rehearsal. Then we're going to shoot the scene. Then it becomes where I'm blocking into who my character is. And my character was, uh, as Nicholas Pierce, was never intimidated by him. I had my opinions of him, uh, how he treated the people around him, how he treated, in this case, saying Sue Ellen. Uh, you know, I didn't have much respect for him. 
Uh, however, you know, so that when I became, when I was into the scene and doing and doing, I just, you know, it was my relationship as Nicholas Pierce uh, had with uh, Jr. There was nothing else. So the look didn't mean anything to me. It, it, if anything, it aggravated me. Wow. <laughs> and and it, it must have been very surreal for you, the, the actor, but then the person. So that's well, that's great. Yeah, I love your your yeah. story there. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Once you get thrown into that, then it becomes you know when I'm in that, then I don't you know I don't have patience with them. I don't care who he that he's this person you know on um, you know uh, you know in not uh, as the character and who he is. I, I definitely had my the relationship that was created. I you know built with it in me and what was developing as we were going through the show. Sure. Uh, but I you know I. My number one, uh, the one that I, you know, had wanted to protect and watch over was Sue Ellen, was Linda Gray. Yes. And there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And if you didn't treat her properly, or if you weren't, uh, you know, a gentleman to her, then you were on my bad side. And so that, you know, I was respectful, but, you know, I, I didn't, uh, the character, his, his number one priority was Sue Ellen. And I didn't care what Jr. thought. It, you're absolutely right. Uh, Nicholas stood up to him in ways that m- perhaps some of uh, Sue Ellen's past loves didn't quite do, at least to the extent. Uh, they may have had their moments, but uh, yeah, Nicholas was not afraid to let Jr. know that uh, he found this unacceptable. And uh, right. and Nicholas often seemed mystified that Jr. wasn't was taking her uh, for granted of, of what a special woman she was. I got that sense from. The, the, the way you're, you would uh, uh, say your lines and stuff that, you know, hey, don't you realize what you had here? I mean, how can you uh, uh, talk to her this way or treat her this way? I'm not going to permit it. And so a strong performance by you. And before we get to those oh, final moments you. of Nicholas Pierce, I'll tell you what. Uh, I did want to mm-hmm. ask you about the gentleman that portrayed your father because you two worked so well together. That was Joe Campanella, wasn't it? That is correct. Yes. Uh, you two yes. just worked so well together. I really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. Well, he was Joe, Joseph Campanella, and his brother was also an actor, too, and they were in a business for many, many years. And uh, he and I got along because he was also from Brooklyn, from New York, and uh, playing my father. And, of course, I know who he was. So when you get around someone, that, for me, I can't speak for him, but when I would get around people who had spent their time and their years in the business, and I'd watch them uh, work, you know, previous to me working with them, uh, there, there are bonds that created, and you know, some just happened immediately. And in, in the sense with uh, Mr. Campanella and myself, I have a great deal of respect for him, which you should always have as a father. Uh, I mean, for me, and as our relationship was in that show, I loved him, I respected him, I thought he, he was my world, he was my knight in shining armor, he's everything I didn't want to be, but he's my blood and he's everything that I am. So in in having that relationship and then he and I sitting down before we work and just kind of talk about things and get us get familiar with each other and rhythms and and both being uh you know uh you know me I'm half Italian I'm Gaelic and I'm half Irish half Italian and and Mr. Campanella was all Italian and plus in the same neighborhood we talked about fun things and uh-huh. as kids growing up so you you build a rapport and a relationship and it starts to build layers but however, what came across, he's a very gentle man. 
Uh, he's a very uh-huh. giving actor and a very he's very sweet. And at the same time, I'm sure because he was also another tall guy. I think he was six three or something like that. And uh, he, he commands respect. And uh, yes. and when someone does that, so we we shared a we had commonality. Uh, and, uh, we both had the, as characters, uh, and I think from our background, we always love to respect our fathers and to, um, you know, that they are the men who, uh, who brought us into the world. And there's always in an Italian culture, there's something very special about Mm -hmm. that. Doesn't approach what the love is for the mother because the mother is La Madonna. You know, (laughs) you can say anything you want about anybody, but don't talk about my mother. You know, That's so right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and uh, but that was part of that, and then that's what Mr. Campanella and I we shared. You know, commonalities, same neighborhood, same kind of background, same kind of food. You know, taste and love for uh, Italian food and love for Italy, and um, and then the other stuff just starts to happen. And then you know, we were giving good writing, and when you get you when you get good actors and you get good writing, then you're hopefully going to get a, there's no reason to fail. There's really a good, a better reason to put something, uh, very, uh, very good on the screen. And you let the, uh, because everything starts with the word. Yes. And a gripping story. Like you said, get the right actors in the right situation. And I'll tell you what they were, everything was just boiling up to the, the, the final moments of that, Shocking cliffhanger. And uh, I, I did want to mention, though, uh, when I'm listening to you speak of uh, uh, of him, you know, one thing that comes to mind is that don't you find it interesting, Jack, that an actor like him, uh, so many scenes where he was just talking to you calmly, yet when you watch it on the screen, it's mm-hmm. so strong. I mean, that's that, you know, actors like that that are so good. They don't have to get loud or overexpress themselves to 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 reach out to you and, and touch you as a viewer. Right. And Howard Keel well, would be the same way. I mean, sure. uh, they had just have that screen presence. I suppose that's a big part of it, too. And I do think I need to ask you, though, about the uh, beautiful actress who played April, because you did you did have some uh, interesting <laughs> moments in it at sure times. Is. I wondered which direction, uh, you know. Uh, this storyline was going to go into when I look back. And what was it like working with her? You two had great chemistry together as well. Well, yeah, she, she, uh, she, Sheree is a wonderful actress and she brings a, a, a whole different kind of energy. Hers was this young, enthusiastic, uh, vibrant kind of energy that was, and you could, you know, and she, t- she talked a lot with her eyes. And uh, very uh, expressive eyes, very expressive uh, ways that she talked, and she was she was very unique on the set. I found, and so when I when it was it was for me it was like kind of being in a candy store, and she's that all American girl that you see in for me and in the character that Nicholas just got a big kick out of her, and he, mm-hmm. uh, he he's a he's a guy. And uh, he was going to have some fun with her and flirt with her. And uh, just because the energy was there to have that, you know, and at the same time, they bring that in the script. Uh, And so whatever grows out of each relationship uh, with a character that you, if you have the time to develop over time, then it takes on its own life. And with Cherie, there was just, you know, she dressed a little bit sexy, a little bit younger, a little bit sharper and, 
she just had a very uh, quick way about her. And she was, you know, to me, that I always saw her always getting to the point, or that's how what I, how I saw her in my relationship and how we she and I related to one another. But she's a wonderful actress, and of course, she had that big run with Chuck Norris. So, yes. uh, I mean, you know, she, you know, she put her time in and she wasn't an overnight hit. She was someone that like a lot of actors, they put their time in and you get a break and timing is everything. And so she originally just deserves her success, but she was a, sure. a lot of energy, a lot of energy. And that's, when that's organic and that's real or genuine or authentic, as they say, uh, you can't buy. You can't buy that. You can't pay for it because eventually, if it's not real, you know it's not. And so, with Cherie, that's who she is. That's her energy, and she was just fun to work with. And when that happens, that brings on a whole other life that's unique to that relationship. Well, I'm so glad I asked you about her. I had a feeling that I did not want to leave that opportunity out. And speaking <laughs> of, of of energy. Jack, uh, you had a quite a, a few scenes with uh, your character did with her character uh, running and jogging through the park. <laughs> I noticed. Uh, so uh, I was like, boy, I got to keep up with her in that way, too, because she's always out there running. That's right. Athletic. I love athletic women. So did Nicholas Pierce. Yes, he but, did. You know, he had that, appreciation yeah. for that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I got that from my father. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Here, the, the so the final moments of the Dallas cliffhanger, which the cliffhangers were always a, a big time event for the viewers. You did not want to miss it. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, a different time back then. It's not like you know today on demand. If you missed a cliffhanger, Jack, as you know, you'd be waiting till uh, the end of summer to see a rerun and. Uh, so you did not want to miss it. And um, so this one was very um, edgy to me because obviously they were building up to trying to track down where John Ross was. And I could feel the tension rising. I mean, you think mm-hmm. looking for John Ross wouldn't be full of tension, but I could feel it. You knew something was going to happen. And boy, right. it sure did. You and uh, 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 Linda bust through the door and, and Jr. in case someone has maybe forgotten. Uh, was at actually at the Ewing condo, not at South Fork, and bust through the door, and boy, you were like, you know, you better start talking right now. And I'll never forget when you said to him, the, to the character, you know, one sorry excuse for a human being. And he pulls out a gun, and he, and he, he says to get out. And boy, I, I'll tell you what, you just knew something tragic was going to happen, and it sure did. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have the big confrontation, and it moves yeah. over to the balcony. And I'll tell you what, Linda Gray, with those screams, it just added so much to the uh, moment. I, I think her screams put me on edge more than anything. It made it so much more real. And the final moments of seeing you on screen, uh, 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 you know, in, you know, fighting with Jr. on the balcony, and then we go, mm-hmm. the, the shot goes back to Linda, and then... That moment, Jack, where we see Nick falling, and then they actually freeze the camera. And you can still hear Linda screaming. And then Larry Hagman turns around with that look like he can't believe what just happened. I'll tell you what. What an unforgettable moment. And what was it like filming that scene? Well, well, there's obviously a lot of emotions going on for me, knowing this is it for me. And I'm not coming back. 
Yes. You know, and unless they was, you know, there was another dream or it didn't happen or, you know, anything could happen in those shows. But I pretty much knew that was And when, so there was the, the Jack preparing to, you know, knowing the day, the couple of days leading up to it was very, uh, uh, this, not so much disconcerting, but I knew this was going to be, you know, this is my last meal here. This was going to, that day was going to be the last day. So there's that life and energy going on. Then you have to push that. I had to, to push that out of the way and get into what the scene was demanding. And so uh, there was even, you know, it was, you could see almost palpable. You could feel it on the set because there were people that were fans of Nicholas or they, they know what it's like to see a character go from a show and you build ties with people. You have relationships with them. You have friendships with them. You've been sitting with them for a year, you know, having, you know, spending the better part of your day with them and sharing meals and stories and getting close. So there was a, a real feeling there was to me, you know, and that's what I remember from it was that there was this little bit of a cloud of sadness and knowing that this is it. It's the last episode of the year, and so everybody's going to go on break, and everyone's going to you know, take a break for a while. Of course, Dallas was coming back, but Nicholas Pierce and Jack Scalia was not. So there was a little bit of a sadness to that. However, you know, we, we soldier on. We act on. We do, we do the job we're supposed to do. But I, I think that's what I remember, you know, now... Um, was it 30 years later? So not quite well yes. close to 30 years later. Uh, that's what I, I remember. That feeling is what I re- recall the most is a little bit of a sadness happening. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'll tell you what, that's the emotion I felt as a viewer because, um, <laughs> you know, I, of course I'd seen characters come and go on big D over the years, but I, I, for some reason I, I, I felt an extra bit of sadness. So maybe, that transited into into the viewership because you know I was sad to see Nick go. It was awfully exciting right. exit though, uh, and then J.R. Ewing would be shot again, but mm-hmm. this time it actually was by Sue Ellen, which yeah. um, over the years they had kind of hinted uh, as a possibility, but she never went through with it. But she did, right. and um, and yet J.R. survives. It was almost like. He was an unstoppable character in so many ways, which always fascinated me. And uh, I did uh, think about this. So did they have you sign anything or say anything like after you filmed it, you know, about not telling people about what, you know, what what all of you filmed? In other words, uh, it was, you know, they wanted to be tight lipped, I'm sure, and not get too much information out. I don't. To be honest, Stephen, I don't remember any of that. I mean, gotcha. I, uh, from I just know they said, Jack, you know, this is not going to air for a while. So, yeah, I vaguely remember it being talked about because you know I've been around. I was at that time I was around long enough in the business to know and know you know Dallas is about, and you don't you don't talk about the end. People right. don't ask you, but right. you don't talk about it. Right. And they say, always leaked a what? little bit, but not all of it. <laughs> yeah. I'd always say, what are you asking me for? I said, just watch it. That's right. <laughs> well, you, yeah, but you were... You give me a hint? I go, yeah. Watch it very <laughs> intently. <laughs> this is my yeah. hint. That's right. Make sure you're watching and paying attention. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, um, really, um, 
just uh, an, an exciting um, exit for your character. Sad and tragic, no doubt, but um, uh, you did an outstanding job in your time on Dallas. And I really must thank you for sharing so many memories of your time oh, on Dallas. Pleasure. Thank you for asking. And, you know, it, it, it was a great experience. And it's, it's coming up on the 40th anniversary, I believe. And, uh, you know, just, just, just a lot of great things happening. And then when they did that extra scene or extra uh, episode after the show had ended and they, they brought back Nicholas Pierce. And what would it have yes. been like if Swellen and, you know, and uh, Nicholas were together? So that was a thrill to come back for that. Yes. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And, you know, uh, but the whole experience was just, you know, I put it right there in the top three, four that I've had. And I've had great times on everything I've done. So I have no complaints at all. Well, I, I thank you again. I, I enjoyed listening to your stories and memories. And uh, I certainly uh, hope the listeners have as well. And Jack, this has been just such a, a true honor. And, and I must thank you for all Pleasure. this inspiration that uh, oh, you have provided me. You're welcome. I'll tell you a quick Hollywood story if we have time. Do we have time? We do. Go right ahead. Okay. okay. So as I said, Jackie Collins was like my pal, really, my, truly my best friend. Uh-huh. And she's, she, she calls this says, Jack, there's a little gathering tonight. And she goes, I know you don't like crowds, and you don't like people but you're hanging around parties, but there's only going to be 16. And I go, Okay. And it was up at Marvin Davis's house. And Marvin Davis was the bigger than life man who at one time owned uh, Pebble Beach, owned the Beverly Hills Hotel. I forget what studio he owned, however. And he's bigger than life because he was probably 400 pounds. Very, very successful man. And she says it's up at um, the Davis's house, Marvin and Barbara. And there were going to be 16 people. So we arrived just a little bit late. I think it was my fault. And from there up on the, one of the hill, one of the big hills in Beverly Hills, and you drive up, and then there's a red carpet that goes from the from the road all the way up to the house. So we drive up the red carpet, and I could see people crossing over, and they're walking into the backyard. They go down about twenty steps, and then there's this long table that's going to seat sixteen people. And the theme of the evening was barbecue. So they had Texas barbecue, Georgia barbecue, Alabama barbecue. They had Louisiana barbecue. And seated at the time when Jackie and I just walked in, as they were being seated, Barbara Davis, who was sitting at the head of the table, right next to her was Barbara Sinatra. Then there was myself. Then there was Jackie. Then to Jackie's left was Mr. and Mrs. Gregory Peck. And then to their left was wow. Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Douglas. Oh, and man. then sitting across from them was Mr. Frank Sinatra. And mm. then there were two empty seats. And the next two seats were um, Sean and Paula Connery. And then Michael and Shakira came. And at the head of the table, the other head was Marvin Davis. So that's quite a crew. And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at these, at these people. I've met them individually, but not, certainly I hadn't met Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Douglas at that point, nor I had met Mr. and Mrs. Gregory Peck. And so I'm looking at the two empty seats, and with that, two people appear at the top of the stairs outside, and it's Barbara and Don Rickles. So Don walks his wife down, he seats, then he walks to the top of the stairs. And as I said, Marvin Davis was a very, very big man, and his wife was very demure and loved jewels. So she's got these strings of jewels on her neck, not just stones, jewels. And he says, 
I just want to say a couple of words to thank our hostess, Barbara Davis. What can I say for you? You're beautiful. You're demure. You're talented. You're married to Marvin. And oh, by the way, the queen wants her jewels back in the morning. <laughs> so <laughs> nice <to> ask. <laughs> then he then he then he goes to Marvin Davis. He says, Marvin Davis, what can I say about you? He goes, Oh, the only man to swallow a Cadillac and survive. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, Frank, let me make you feel at home. <laughs> so then, then someone says, okay, dinner. Yeah, so he said, dinner is yeah. served. So everybody walks up to this huge, this 50-foot-long table with all this barbecue and, 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 you know, appetizers and everything. And for each couple, there is a, a valet, a person who goes up with you. And all you do is point to your food, which I thought was very hysterical. And they pick the food for you, and then you go back and sit down. But as I was walking... I saw Kurt Douglas and Gregory Peck standing next to each other, and there was probably about a foot between them. And I said, I got to do this. When will I ever get this chance again? Kurt Douglas to my left, Gregory Peck to my right, and there's a foot of space in between them. So I walked up, and I just squeezed in and then stuck my elbows out, and they both looked at me. And I looked at Kurt Douglas, I looked at Mr. Gregory Peck, I said, now you can tell everyone, you rubbed elbows with Jack Scalia. And they looked at me, and then they just started roaring laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and, a great and, story. Yeah, it was just so much fun. You know, and then I get to know these people over time. But I just wanted that. That was my, that's my greatest Hollywood night. <laughs> well, it's a good one. It's a good story. Well, there were five Academy, six Academy Award winners at that table. Wow. You know, so, I mean, you know, that's the amazing thing. Each, each man there had won an Academy Award. So it was, it was Gregory Peck, and it was Kirk Douglas, and there was Frank Sinatra, and there was uh, Sean Connery, and there's Michael Caine. All in one Oscar. So there were five. That is amazing. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So, and just a great, great memory. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing so many memories. Um, wow. I, I'll tell you what, I've enjoyed every single moment, uh, something Thank I'll you. always cherish. And um, I want to uh, commend you for all the, the interviews you're doing, like, like we discussed earlier with our uh, armed service individuals that we appreciate so much. And uh, just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Really a huge honor for me. Well, it's a pleasure and honor talking with you, Stephen, and just keep up the good work and uh, keep getting people to come on your show and make sure you get a hold of Sue Ellen, also known as Linda Gray, and whoever else you can, because there are some great people out there, and you're doing a great job, pal. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I wanted to start a new life with you. Do you understand? Yeah. If anything ever happened to you, I've done.
send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.